Welcome to the PCC Podcast, your place for CNS soundbites. Hi, I'm John Shelton, publisher of the Primary Care Companion for CNS Disorders. In this episode, I'll bring you up to date on the important peer-reviewed research and reviews from our latest issue. Let's get started. Approximately 40% of the population that dies by suicide has made a previous attempt, and a significant proportion of suicide attempt presentations are triaged through emergency departments. Physicians often utilize active versus passive ideation as a clinical marker for someone's level of imminent risk and use these markers for clinical decision-making. In this study, Bolton and colleagues examined whether active suicidal ideation versus ambivalence about living provides a useful method of distinguishing level of risk for future suicide behavior. Participants consisted of 5,655 individuals presenting to two emergency departments in Winnipeg, Canada, who received a psychiatric consult. Patients who presented with suicidal ideation were subtyped as having either ambivalence about living or active suicidal ideation. These presentations were examined as predictors of suicide attempt within six months when compared to no suicidal ideation. Participants who presented with ambivalence about living were two to three times more likely to present to the emergency room with a suicide attempt within six months of initial presentation. Thus, differentiating between active ideation and ambivalence about living may downplay the severity of the latter presentation and negatively interfere with clinical decision-making. Preparation of this article was supported by research grants from the Manitoba Health Research Council, a University of Manitoba Graduate Fellowship, a Canadian Institutes of Health Research New Investigator Award, and a Brain and Behavior Research Foundation NARSAD Young Investigator Award. PTSD is one of the most prevalent psychiatric disorders in military and veterans' populations and is associated with reduced physical, mental, and cognitive functioning and quality of life, as well as suicidal thoughts and behaviors. To date, research studies have focused on the presence or absence of PTSD or PTSD symptom clusters and their associations with measures of functioning, quality of life, suicidal thoughts, and behavior. In this issue's continuing medical education offering, the authors utilize a novel approach to examine the relationship between individual PTSD symptoms and measures of physical, mental, and cognitive functioning, quality of life, and suicidal thinking in a large nationally representative sample of 1,484 U.S. military veterans exposed to a broad range of traumatic events. Results reveal that nonspecific and hyperarousal symptoms of PTSD, such as loss of interest in pleasurable activities, sleep difficulties, concentration difficulties, negative thoughts, difficulty expressing positive affect, and risky and destructive behavior were significantly associated with and explained a large proportion of variance across the different measures. These findings persisted even after adjustment for lifetime trauma burden and overall severity of PTSD symptoms. Taken together, these results suggest that nonspecific PTSD symptoms are most strongly related to measures of functioning, quality of life, 
and suicidal ideation in U.S. military veterans. The results further underscore the potential clinical utility of a tailored, symptom-based approach to the assessment, monitoring, and treatment of PTSD and associated difficulties. This work was supported in part by a Career Development Award from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs Clinical Sciences R&D Service. The National Health and Resilience in Veterans Study is supported by the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs National Center for Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder. Previous work in partner violence suggests that day-to-day violent events often occur irregularly, making violence unpredictable. But the degree of that unpredictability is important, correlating with women's coping levels of hope and support, function, and readiness to change. In addition, the predictability of daily violence is important in planning interventions. However, it is costly and time-consuming to measure the degree of irregularity. Thus, the authors of this article sought to develop a brief instrument to assess the degree of violence irregularity. Adult women who were in violent relationships completed a 30-item baseline survey about the violence and were asked to report daily on what happened at home the previous day for eight weeks. Appraisal of the violent situation and coping mechanisms were also assessed. Using the daily violence reports, several measures of irregularity were calculated for each woman. The original 30 violence characteristics assessed in the baseline survey cluster in five categories. Using the items from two of these categories, the authors constructed the Violence Nonlinearity Dynamic Scale, a 10-item instrument to assess violence irregularity. Scores from this instrument fell into a bell-shaped curve and had good reliability. The scale's total score showed concurrent validity, based on its correlation with several measures of daily violence irregularity and construct validity, correlating with 9 of 13 measures previously known to correlate with violence irregularity. The 10-item instrument could be used as a research tool to simplify assessment of violence irregularity and in the clinical setting to determine the likelihood that simple interventions may yield predictable results. This project was funded by a grant from the National Science Foundation. A new dementia screening tool, notably one that is intended to remain free and available to all clinicians, was developed by the Memory Disorders Group at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. It is called the Alabama Brief Cognitive Screener and was designed for use in both primary care and memory disorder clinics. Researchers administered this screener over three years to approximately 1,600 patients with diagnoses of mild cognitive impairment, Alzheimer's dementia, memory loss, cerebral degeneration, or dementia not otherwise specified. Face validity was established by comparing the score on the screening tool to the diagnoses assigned to patients with memory disorders. The diagnosis and scoring pattern was consistent with the current gold standard, the mini-mental state examination, which now requires purchase for use. The authors conclude that the Alabama Brief Cognitive Screener shows promise as a screening instrument to both identify and assess severity of cognitive deficits in medical practice. 
Orthostatic intolerance is the most frequent pediatric psychosomatic disorder, and its onset and exacerbation are strongly affected by psychosocial factors. Intestinal microbial deviations, which are influenced by food and lifestyle factors, are an important risk factor for adult psychiatric patients, but their role in pediatric patients is unclear. The objective of this study was to investigate the intestinal microbiota and its involvement in mental health of children with orthostatic intolerance. 56 fecal samples from pediatric patients with orthostatic intolerance and 9 samples from healthy children were examined using terminal restriction fragment length polymorphism. Bacterial diversity was analyzed using the Shannon Wiener Index and the Simpson Index. All orthostatic intolerance patients were assessed using two different psychological scales, the Children's Depression Inventory and the Children's Manifest Anxiety Scale. The patients were then divided into the following subgroups, depression or non-depression, and anxiety or non-anxiety. Pediatric patients with orthostatic intolerance show deviations in intestinal bacteria flora. The results of this study lead the authors to believe that intestinal flora may serve as a novel therapeutic target for the psychiatric management of children with orthostatic intolerance, and probiotics containing bifidobacteria may be a promising therapeutic intervention. Assertive Community Treatment, or ACT, is a team approach that provides community-based psychiatric treatment to people with serious mental illness. The ACT team visits clients in their homes and residences and meets with families and counselors. The team includes psychiatrists, social workers, nurses, peer specialists, and vocational counselors. ACT services are available 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. It was 10 years ago that the Bronx Psychiatric Center ACT team first invited third-year medical students who joined them on community rounds. The students from the Albert Einstein College of Medicine were completing a six-week psychiatry clerkship and spent one day with the ACT team. The program continues to this day. The authors of this article discuss the program's evolution and the hurdles that were overcome through the years. They also highlight student feedback which has been overwhelmingly positive. Many students indicated that medical school training is deficient in teaching the biopsychosocial model. The authors point out that medical student exposure to ACT teams may partially correct this deficiency in biopsychosocial training. ACT teams are an underutilized medical student teaching tool. The authors hope that this review will encourage other schools and program directors to adopt an ACT team training model. Please visit us online at primarycarecompanion.com to find numerous case reports on a variety of topics, from serious drug side effects to the danger of combined misuse of gabapentin and opioids. You can also browse interactive activities from our CME Institute. We update our website weekly with new postings, so there is always something new to explore. As an all-electronic journal, PCC has an unlimited amount of space in which to publish articles and features. We welcome ideas that any of you may bring to our attention, for we want to expand both the breadth and depth of our articles and specialty sections. 
Please take advantage of the open invitation to join many of your colleagues in submitting your research to PCC. We also ask you keep us abreast of trends you see in your practice and topics that would be interesting to explore. Thanks for joining me for this summary of offerings and our current issue of the Primary Care Companion for CNS Disorders. This is John Shelton signing off. I hope you will join me for the next installment of the PCC Podcast, your place for CNS Soundbites.